All right, so wanted to give everyone a heads up. So the language goes a little south at times on this episode, but you know we thought it important to bring to you guys because it's real, and Brian is real and always has been. You know, very authentic guy. You know, being a rescue lieutenant now and a baseball player, you know, the locker rooms can really mirror each other, and we want to bring you honest conversations. We always want to tell the whole story. So I thought Brian was fantastic. Uh, wanted to bring this to you. I think it's a special conversation. You know, he's as real as it gets, and I think you'll enjoy. Thanks. Hey, what's up, and welcome back to the Heading for Home podcast. Today's guest is Brian Rose. So Brian played with me at the University of Florida. He's a guy from Miami, ended up getting drafted by the Diamondbacks and spent some time with them, and now a rescue lieutenant uh, in the Key West Fire Department. Really talented, tough guy. One of those guys that you would definitely want on your side You know, when the things got difficult and the guy that you would not want to play against because he was intimidating, he was a good ball player, and he definitely knew how to lead the other team. So this this conversation was exciting for me because he was my catcher when we played, and he was one of those guys that I always felt comfortable going into quote-unquote battle with. And so it was really cool to hear his career from his lens, you know, having been a teammate, having watched it kind of from afar. And so, you know, I really enjoyed that part. Also, it was really interesting to hear him talk about his current job in being a rescue lieutenant and, and how that can you know, very much compared to baseball in a lot of ways and, and the camaraderie and, and some of the other aspects of the profession and how you know, all of a sudden you look up and, and they kind of mirror each other and also how baseball prepared him for that. And he will bring up some stories from that job and, and how it, it can be tough and, and what that takes to kind of process through and, you know, how important it is, though, also that his training from baseball kind of took him to that way. So hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. All right, man. So I, I know a lot of this just because obviously we lived it together. But you know, I think you got a really cool baseball story, generally speaking. So hit me with it. Like, tell me about it. It's a little different. I mean, everybody's story, as you know, all baseball players, they come from different ways. You know, there's that 10% that are just better than everybody on earth that can just show up to the field and be better. But the 90% of the rest of us have, you know, have our little journeys. Um, with me, I mean, going back all the way to little league, you know, I was the uh, the pitcher and the shortstop, like most of uh, you probably were pitcher and outfield the first base being a lefty, but, you know, was one of the better ones in the league. But I was one of those guys that was never the best. Just got better every year. You know, I kind of got bigger. I was kind of like a big donkey at some point. You know, I, I grew pretty tall pretty early. Um, only noticeable about my life in Little League was um, my coach one year decided to uh, turn me into the batting practice pitcher slash throw live VP the whole team pitcher slash throw like inner squad or like inner games to people before the season started. This is literally, I was probably 11, 12, not even 13. I don't think I ended up separating the growth plate in my shoulder. Oh my so that gosh. shut down. My, yeah. I shut down my pitching career. Um, got to high school. Um, like all of us was good. Honestly, at that point, no aspirations of college or pro ball. I kind of was just like, you know, happy to make high school team. Um, I felt like I was good enough and I was the day I tried out in high school. I probably tried out for first, third, Outfield, I don't think catcher. I never caught as a little leaguer. I didn't know anything about catching. Um, day one, I make the team, and the coach goes, man, you're kind of too big for some positions. You're too slow for other positions. He's like, you're a bit better. I was like, hey, whatever. So me and another guy split time on JV that year. We played every game, uh, played on Saturdays. Uh, I catch one, he catch one. I was horrible. I could hit. You know, if you throw me a fastball, I hit it. You know, I yeah. park, throw me a ball. I'd that never changed, by the way. Yeah, no, that never, that never changed. You throw me an off-speed pitch, if it was a strike, I was not going to hit it. And if it was a ball, I was hopefully walking. I mean, that was that was the, the deal. Um, 
Never got better at catching at that point. By sophomore year, I played at a big school in Miami, a 6A school at the time. I don't know what the divisions are now, but we had 4,000 students there. It was one of the better divisions. Um, made varsity as a sophomore. I think I was the only hitter that made varsity, and one pitcher did. Um, played right field. Uh, if you hit it to me, I was going to catch it. If I had to run more than 10 feet, sorry about your luck, pitcher. <laughs> going to be a gaffer. Um, the one thing I did have, I, I, could, uh, I, could, I could throw a little bit. I always had a good arm, so you know that was the one thing I did as a right fielder. Um, funny story about high school. Um, Started every game in high school as a sophomore. Uh, some seniors dared me to, uh, at like 3 in the morning on a road trip, yell out, fuck you to my coach. Just in the middle of the night, just, hey, what are you doing? Of course, I might dumb ass. I was like, sure, I'll do it. By 8 a.m., he somehow knew it was me. Woke up in the middle of the night, so obviously it was snitched out. And I was at one game in high school. I didn't, I didn't play. I was benched for the next day. Oh, did, did you ever tell him what happened or did it just – No, never. No. Uh, yeah, I, it, I knew it was that just, answer. He, he, cussed, yeah, he cussed me out in the morning and, I was, and you know, told me about myself. What did I do? I was like, I got nothing, Coach. You know, I was sorry. You know, like yeah. it, it, it is what it is. So I missed that game. Uh, the rest of sophomore year, I just played in the outfield. So by junior year, um, catching was kind of my spot because we had a senior my sophomore year. Uh, junior year, I hit well. I was a good hitter. I still was a dog shit catcher. Um, I could throw the ball. Couldn't really, you know, receive the ball. Terrible blocking. I had a coach, um, a guy named Fernando, that worked on it every day with me, or at least on the weekends. I got a little better, but I kind of was still kind of a crappy catcher, to be honest with you. I could just yeah. hit. Summer after that year, I got some interest from schools. Um, I had good grades in high school. I had a good SAT score. Um, Naval Academy, which hindsight, I do regret maybe not going there. You know, growing up, I didn't know a whole lot about Naval Academy. It was at least where I was. You heard about more about West Point. Yeah. I didn't really understand much about the Navy at the time. Um, took a recruiting visit there and it snowed one, which that's, oh, just wow. no, you know, on recruiting visits and I'm sure you went on a million, you know, they want to show the guy a good time. Well, the good time at the Naval Academy was we went to the movie theater and we snuck in booze. So <laughs> you know me pretty well. And I was like, yeah, this ain't for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to Navy. Um, uh, Harvard, ironically enough, somehow sent me stuff just cause of grades, you know, and I could yeah. get a baseball and a bunch of small schools. But at the time I really only wanted to go, uh, UF, UNC and Virginia academics athletics and everything of course they never would have turned down um or, U- or fsu because they were both just monster programs um you had their uh i think it was mike DeRosa was the catcher there and yep. he was like a huge, huge guy in high school i played against him he was a badass in high school so he was going to be their you know future catcher um fsu i think it was this year i came in the year after it was tony ritchie yeah he's probably the best, he's probably the best receiving probably the best catcher I ever played against including pro ball I mean, man was the monster he, he caught everything i would if i were a pitcher i'd love to have thrown to that guy so um, junior year, after in that uh, summer, uh, I was catching six innings of every game, and then I would pitch the seventh inning. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, and I was probably, you know, 85, 88, maybe 90 on my best day. You know, good for high school, but nothing nothing extraordinary. And only thing funny about that was, I don't know that you remember him. He played for UM, Javi Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. Always hit 300-something, always stole a million stole bases. 50 bags every year, yeah. Yeah. He, he coaches, I think, now somewhere. I mean, the guy was a badass, a great yeah. player. He was also cocky, like all of us at the time. And uh, one day, it's a summer league game against, I think it was Gulliver. Ball's hitting the gap. He was standing on third, and he walks home. Like, literally walks home. And, like, just embarrassing and everything. So, me and him nearly fight on plate. It was just one of those things. So, I tell my coach, hey, I'm pitching the next inning. But the next time he gets up, I need to, I'm hitting him. So it's like two innings later, and it's the seventh inning. So I come in. I'm throwing as hard as I can. I'm probably throwing every pitch, 90, 91. Like my, my elbow is like hanging by, you know, it already been sore, and I'm just throwing. Coach goes, listen, don't hit him on the first pitch. You'll get thrown out. Hit him on the second pitch. I said, all right. 
he's first hitter. So I go, I'm going to throw a curveball here. Well, I try to throw it as hard as I can, and I try to throw it straight in the dirt. And of course, I just threw a straight, you know, cement mixer. Yeah. And dude pops up and hits it to the first baseman. He's out. So now I went from, you know, angry to just infuriated because I couldn't hit the, hit the guy. So the next five pitches, I throw, I throw my elbow out of place. And I literally called my coach and I said, hey, uh, I'm done. And I uh, blew my elbow out. Um, didn't need Tommy John. My ligament was okay, but I broke the ligament off the bone. Oh and it was God. basically just hanging down there. So I went like, you know, everybody thought, you know, he's just sore. And you know me, I don't no. complain about it when it yeah. comes to pain. So yeah. if I'm saying something wrong, something's wrong. So I get surgery in that fall. And now my senior year is basically down, you know, down the drain. Schools are now like, you know, peace out. You know, small schools probably still would have, you know, stuck with me. But all the big boys are like, you know, we don't need this guy. He's not, you know. Yeah, I, no, I, really wasn't even, I really wasn't even on their radar that much. I was, you know, Florida at the time, I think the recruiting coordinator was Gary Henderson. Yeah. I mean, they knew of me. I had good numbers. They're like, yeah, this guy's here. But Florida, Florida, in my freshman class when I went in, had I think the number one or two class in the country. It was like the Alex Harts, the Ryan Sheelys. Um, the year before they had Matt Heath, who was probably the best catcher in the country. I think coming out of high school. I don't remember Matt. Um, yeah. They, they, they didn't need me at Florida, but senior year, just rehabbed. I tried to teach myself how to throw lefty. That didn't work, obviously. <laughs> I wanted to get out there. I just stood on the field and threw lefty every day, and I got up to maybe 60 miles an hour at maximum. Not probably not even that. Um, played at DH. I was able to DH, and I, I matched. I, I, hit, I hit well because all I could do was hit that year, um, but didn't catch. So basically there was no interest um, college-wise, maybe small schools, but I don't really remember. I got into Florida academically. I said, you know what? I'm going to Florida if I make it. I make it. You don't want to play big boy baseball or nothing. Yeah. That summer, I proceeded to uh, almost eat myself out of baseball because <laughs> you go off to college and, you know, late nights and, you know, five, what was it, five-star pizza in Gainesville, yeah, whatever yeah, it was. Exactly. I gained 20, 30 pounds and did nothing. Towards the end of the summer, my mom, I think, had a contact with uh, somebody either on the baseball team or just graduated through from her tutoring or something like that. Got in contact. I got permission to use the, uh, the facilities. Like, I think when the fall started, and the guys don't really, sh like, like call it mid-August or something. But facilities, just the batting cage, and they had that iron mic there. So I literally went out there every day and just hit while there was nobody in the field. When guys uh, show up to the, you know, in the fall, you can't really do much. You got, like, the four-on-ones or whatever it is. So the field was pretty open. So I just I just hit. I'd ride my bike to uh, the gym every day, got in reasonable shape, nothing special. My arm was 100% at this point because I hadn't thrown yeah. since, like, November of the year before. Um and, you know, decided to walk on. So go to walk on, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of a crazy story because I know this, the second I made the team, like I can, I can, I can say I know when I made the team, but basically we'll go to walk on, tried out for pitcher, catcher, third base, first base, and outfield. I was good at none of them. I had a good arm, but I was good at none of them, and I could hit a little bit. I mean, let's just be real. Never was going to play in the infield in, in uh, college. The outfield, what are you going to put me in right field and hope nobody hits the ball to me? And then what's going to happen? Um, I remember when I was pitching, all I did was try to throw it as hard as I could to show that I had an arm. I didn't have arm speed. I was maybe 90 at the time because I was like coming back from surgery. I had an arm, but I, I didn't really condition it. To, yeah, you to, always had a cannon, like, man. Hard arm, but I had an arm. So I was maybe 90. So it was like one of those things that Lopez and the guys were like, well, this guy, maybe we can use his arms. Um, catching wise, if I remember, and I don't remember all the people that there, it was Todd Johannes, Tony Sakaris, Matt Heath, uh, Nick Treffrey, some guy named Stas Swarzewski. And like one or two other guys, there was literally six or seven guys that were either scholarship guys transferred in from JUCO or recruited and given yeah. some form of a scholarship. So to make the team, I would literally have been seventh string catcher and been a bullpen catcher. So, you know, the, the odds were pretty slim. A couple 
about a week. So after two or three days of the first tryouts, I think then they give you two two full weeks to try to make the team. Like mm-hmm. if you if you do good on day one, it's like all right, here you go. Here's here's a sh- couple shirts. Yeah, that's right. Band, yep. a locker. You got two weeks to make the team, and there may have been whatever preferred walk-ons, and you know six or eight guys, four or five. I don't know how many guys. I'm out there catching the seventh inning of games or ninth inning of games. You know, balls going by me. Not you know, I'm terrible. But I'm still hitting okay in BP. I showed some power, I had a good arm. So the guys, you know, they, they were given a chance. The moment, so it's like one of the last days of camp, and I'm sitting in the dugout, and uh, Duke and Greco, obviously we love yeah, them. We the, love the, those guys. The uh, they're sitting there talking. They're talking about players. And I don't know what they're saying specifically at first, but they're naming these guys, and some of these guys are studs. Like BP hitting balls over the batting cage, shit. Like I'm like, man, these. I'm out there I'm with the big boys at the time, in, in my opinion. Yeah. He names a bunch of them. I'm like, damn, they're all good. And it was either Duke or Greco talking, and the other one was like, "Well, what's up with them?" And he's like, "Oh, they're all getting cut." I'm like, damn, you know, it was like literally a day or two before cuts. I'm like, man, there's no way I'm making this team. So it's it's probably the last inter squad game or however however we were doing it. Matt McLennan is pitching. Matt McLennan was I don't know what round he went in, maybe the fifth round that year, third round, but third, he got a lot I think. Of money. Yeah, yeah, got a lot of money. The guy was a stud. He threw gas, 95 plus consistently. Big righty, six five. You know, the typical, you know, big yeah. big big league body, big everything. He's, he's pitching. I come in the game, literally get my one at bat at the end of the game. Wood bats. And we're using like crappy wood bats too, not like real stuff. And I'm like, you know what? This dude's just trying to look good for the scouts. I'm like telling myself he's just going to throw you know, gas. And I don't know how hard, probably 95, 97 or something. And I turn it around, hit it off the top of the fence in the gap for a double. Like just shit on it. You know, close my eyes strong. You know, like it was just one of those get lucky. He left it up and I smoked it. That moment, like Lopez stopped the inner squad, made a comment to, to McClendon, made a comment to me. I know that moment I made the team. Like right there. So I'm walking, it might have been that practice, and I'm walking in, and we're, like, cleaning stuff up. And, you know, the most of the team's already there. There's literally a few guys that are now making it. The rest of the team has, has where they're going to go. And Lopez and Duke actually comes up, and he starts naming all the people he named the day before, and he names me. I'm like, all right, well, I'm cut. You know, yeah. it's a good chance. As I'm walking to the dugout, Lopez is walking across. He goes, Brian, where are you going? He's like, no, Duke told me to go in there. He's like, no, 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 go in the clubhouse. That's and awesome. And I was like, I was like, all right. And I go in, and it was like, those guys got cut, and I made a team. Like, I made it with that swing. There's no chance I didn't. Yeah. You know, because I was adequate. I was adequate. You know, I did a lot of things okay, but at the time, I was I was completely raw. I had I had the size, I had an arm. That was it. I convinced Lopez somehow it was something he saw. I mean, I'm fortunate for it, obviously. So that was what got me to Florida and on the team. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank uh, God, dude. We needed you. Yeah. Well. And then, you know, from there on, it was it was an interesting story. My freshman year, because you didn't come on probably until my second or third year. Yeah, I think you were a reg, redshirt I was a redshirt, probably, yeah. yeah. So first year, I was – I didn't live with any of the guys. I'm shy, as you know. So I know the moment I made the team, and I know the moment I made Lopez like me. So the moment I made the team, I had the hit off McClendon. Um, I'm typically a shy guy. I didn't talk to anybody. Kind of sat in my little corner during stretches and everything. I was kind of like, you know – this red shirt, just bullpen catcher, nobody. I mean, I was. Um, pretty sure it was that fall. I don't think it was to the spring, but it was like late fall. We're doing conditioning. And uh, on Friday mornings, we used to run on the field, the 100-yard, you know, little 100-yard sprints with Duke and everything, or with Greco. Well, a lot of the older guys, the Wilkerson's and whoever else were all in town partying, probably D-Nick and all these D-Nick, guys. Yeah. They, they did a Thursday night at the Swamp, and they stayed out all night. Well, we're running at – the sun is not up yet, so it's five something in the morning. <laughs> they decide to egg us, so they, which is hilarious in hindsight. <laughs> but we don't know who's doing it. So there's eggs getting thrown over this fence, pelting us. You know, people are getting hit with eggs. So we all go sprinting, and we can kind of see some people by like there used to be a uh, parking garage. I don't even know what this, the layout is anymore. 
So we go, we go running. Of course, I'm slower than everybody. Whoever it was, they get away. Well, one guy did not get away. And I won't say his name. I don't really know him well, and I may even say the name wrong. But one guy's on the ground just sitting there, and all of our team is around him. Here comes slow me, like the last one to show up, not knowing anything that's going on. And our guys are like kind of yelling, but they all knew him. And I didn't realize it. I ran up to him, and I hit him with my left hand and right in the head. And right in front of Grico. Grico was so jacked up and so happy, he went directly to Lopez's office and told him what I did. <laughs> Lopez called me in his office, and that moment is I went from like some guy, some scrub, from that moment on, Lopez loved me. Yeah. Punching this guy in the head during running at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> so so to give people an idea, quickly, Lopez is Andy Lopez, Hall of Fame coach, University of Florida, won national champs at Pepperdine in Arizona. But yeah, no, and he's a legend. And one of the toughest but also most awesome coaches you can ever have. He's, no, Lopez, I mean, we could go on for days, weeks. He actually texted me the other day out of the blue. You know, we, I've tried to keep in touch, and I wish I was better. And I'm, I'm, I'm really poor about keeping in touch with my friends. But Lopez, man, you know, when he left, it was like, it was heartbreaking to me at Florida yeah. when he left. And Pat McMahon came in. It was amazing, too. I mean, I can't knock him. Pat, yeah. We were lucky to have Coach McMahon. But, man, Lopez and I, you know, at Florida, like I said, my so my first year was, there was ups and downs. I was the bullpen catcher. I nearly got cut because, unbeknownst to me, you know, <laughs> you need to, have to take 12 credits every semester to stay eligible. Well, I had like 14 credits one semester. One of my classes was utter bullshit, and I was just not going anymore. And I probably had a D or an F in it, so I dropped it because you get you can drop classes. Well, that dropped me from 14 to 11. Yeah. And it's like at the end of the season, I wasn't playing. I was redshirting. Um, but it made me ineligible, and I didn't know I was ineligible. And the moment I became ineligible, Lopez let me have it. And yeah. he's basically said, Brian, um, you got some good things about you, the bad things, this and that. He's like, listen, I don't even know if you're going to be on the team next fall. So you need to come back next year and uh, with a different attitude, with a di- you know, he, he let me have it. Yeah. So um, that was my freshman year. So I decided that summer to get in shape for the first time in my life, like legit shape, lost like 40 pounds, um, came back to school just – you know, ready to go. And I went from seventh string catcher to split starter oh, by nice. my redshirt year. You know, senior graduated, the junior turned into a senior, and, was, and I was a redshirt freshman now. A couple of the guys transferred out. One of the guys had gotten hurt and transferred out. I mean, there were circumstances that helped it, and I put myself in that position to play. So I went from seventh string, bullpen catcher, this close to getting cut, to now split starting. Now, the split start literally ended after the first week in Hawaii because I was – it was me versus Tony Sakaris, and I think he hit a grand slam and a triple. And it was like, all right, Brian, you know, <laughs> this righty-lefty thing, you know, you're the backup. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, was probably the best thing for me to see because Tony was a great catcher. And Tony, um, he had caught in Juco. He caught some in Florida. I learned a lot from him, you know. And yeah. After that season, um, at the very end of that season, I kind of put myself on the map, I guess, nationally, I guess, um, Tony got hurt in the second inning of the SEC tournament championship game. Not badly, but like, you know, just got beat up and Lopez took him out because he wanted him to be good for the regionals. And I uh, came in, asked Adam, you know, threw me, you know, these guys, it was LSU were playing. They ended up winning the national championship that year. I think I went for two for three or two for four with a couple doubles, like off the fence at at that big field. in uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. Yeah. And, you know, Lopez is like, wow, you know, this guy's all right. So those are a few of the moments that kind of got me in the light, you know, going back and I became the starter. Isn't it amazing that like, like if things are so like in the balance and you have like one swing and it's like, Oh, like that's all it took. No, no, that's, that's absolutely right. You know, and then it was the, you know, it's confidence and obviously with baseball pitching, catching any position, 
hitting, especially, you know, confidence and everything, you know. And I was playing a game here or there, get the ninth inning, and I was, you know, I don't know what I hit, probably low 200s. Um, but those at-bats at the end of the year in a big stage in a big game, I was like, shit, maybe I can do this. Yeah. You know, and then come next season, Lopez and I, Andy Lopez, I'll give him credit, you know, the man knows everything about the game, as you know. You yeah. know, he's one of those coaches, you know, I'm sure there's coaches out there that know a little bit, a lot about some stuff, a little bit, you know, he worked with the pitchers, but you get him with the hitters. He could tell you everything you're doing wrong. He worked with the fielders. He could tell you everything. You know, yeah. Lopes was he was the man. He was the man. I agree. Every single day, he pulled me aside. We worked on receiving, frame, whatever it was. A little bit of blocking every day. Maybe two minutes, five minutes, eight minutes. Every day, he busted my ass, and he made me a hundred times better. Yeah. You know, you know, and you know how he did it. You know, he's he's not the nicest of people doing it, but <laughs> you know, if that. That style works with me. That style works with you. Yeah, that style does. does not work. With, does not work with a lot of people. You know, I, I need to be told what I'm doing wrong. I don't right. need to be like hey, and do it a different way. I need to be like, listen, asshole, you're not doing it right. Fucking fix it. Yeah. you know. And that was kind of his uh, his style. And guess what? He's probably one of the best coaches to ever coach the game. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I just yeah. I, I, it's funny, and when you're going through it too, you. I think it's pretty self-aware that you know that's your style, but some guys, like even myself sometimes, I'm like, I'm sick of hearing from this guy. But every time he would jump me, it was an immediate right. positive reaction of like, right. all right, I'm... I, yeah, I, with me being a catcher, you know, like I said, with me always, I, I kind of had a lot of the intangibles, right? I was never the best hitter, never the most power, never the best receiver, never the best blocker. I had a good arm, but I had shitty mechanics throwing. You know, like if I if you threw a good pitch and I caught it right, you're, you're out 100 times. But if you even threw some weird pitch, like my mechanics are crap. But one of the things, like I said, the intangibles were were, were pretty good with me, and I, I had a good gauge on what pitchers needed to be talked to about. Yeah. You know, with you, I go out there and tell you, "Hey, listen, you piece of shit, you need to start throwing strikes." And then you'd want to fight me for yelling at you, but then all of a sudden you're concentrated throwing strikes. There's other guys I'd go out there that all they wanted to do was after the game go party, and I'd walk out to them and be like, "Hey, look at that girl in the third row," and they they look at all right, snap back to it. There's other guys that could have been the best players ever, and you could be like, "Listen, man." It's the umpire's fault. It's not your fault. You know, I got a, I got a baby from other guys. You know? <laughs> we know, you know, we know how that goes. So I had to, I had to figure that out day to day basis, pitcher yeah. to pitcher basis. You know, I knew what I needed. You know, if I had a certain coach kind of coming up to me, Brian, this is your team. You do what you want. All right, cool. But I don't want to hear that. Like that's not gonna make me better. I need a hey, Brian. You need to get your ass in gear. So everybody's different for different styles, and not saying one is better than the other. For me, what it worked, you know. But as a catcher, I had to learn that with you guys. You know, I mean. And you know you're you're you were one of the more intense guys. We had a, we had a, quite a few of the guys that were like that, but there's other guys that are just kind of just hey man, just leave me alone. I'll figure it out. Okay, dude, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be out. You're gonna be out of the game next inning. But sure, you know <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, that was, I mean, that was it. You know, and then besides, you know, I, I've got plenty of stories. We'll, I'll go over in a few minutes. The only other kind of completely crazy thing that happened to me at Florida. I started every game sophomore year, every game junior year. As a catcher, and actually at the end of soft retro sophomore year, um, one of our guys was pitching. It was the last game of the year. It was an SEC game. It was an important game, but we were going to make the SEC tournament anyways. I don't know that it changed seedings, but obviously every game is important in the SEC. They threw a pitch over my head. I threw my hand up, just some rant, awkward pitch, and it hit my thumb weird, and it tore the ligament in my thumb. I basically had Tommy John on the thumb. They had to replace the ligament. So I caught the rest of the game. It's on my catching hand. So a torn ligament on your thumb, on your catching Ooh. hand is a problem. Ooh. And I caught, and I caught uh, all 56 games that year. Every, you know, probably seven to nine innings of every game. Then yeah. I, I came literally in blowouts. That was it. And um, going to the SC tournament, my thumb, my hand looked like the size, of, you know, became the size of my fist. I couldn't move it. I couldn't bend it. 
I got cortisone shots directly to it, which that felt pretty awful. Um, <laughs> and I thought I had a catch in the SEC tournament game, we yeah. five game, and I had to catch. You know, and I had to finish the season that way. So that was one of the issues, and that was just miserable. Like, you can't catch. You know, you pitchers are throwing inside pitches. I'm boxing. I'm ruining the games for the pitchers, but you know, what can you do? You yeah. know, I had to play. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I was gonna. I was. I wasn't not gonna play with a broken thumb. Like I was gonna play. Um, so I did that, and then I caught every game in junior year. So I started 100 and whatever 30 games in a real catcher. And then senior year, one week, maybe what, nearly two, a week and a half before season, Super Bowl Sunday, senior year, I'm at a friend's house. They had a, we had a party. Everybody you know hung out. We watched Super Bowl. I, I used to always sleep on the couch at this person's house. He used to always sleep on the other couch. It was always guys at the house. There was like 10 of us sleeping there, you know, just throughout the house. Woke up about 6 in the morning, sweating bullets, stomach ache, shoulder pain, throwing up. So I'm like, well, whatever. Maybe it's a hangover. I don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, it was Super Bowl Sunday. Go to the bathroom. I call the trainer, Paul Duke, who, mind you, this is now I've started 130 games, and I've literally never said one word to him other than for my broken thumb. When I call somebody at 8 in the morning, he, he took it pretty serious. He took me directly to the doctor at University of Florida. This is a true story. Um, doctor told me I had food poisoning. True story. T- felt my belly. It was my left side of my belly was hurting. I have food poisoning. All right, man. You know? Sure, I ate whatever, checkers the day before, I think. <laughs> I said, cool, man. I guess I got food poisoning. I mean, it makes sense. I was shitting, throwing up my shoulder. Like, I felt terrible, and I yeah. felt awful. Walked to the field, and our seat – so it's now Monday. Our season wasn't going to start that weekend. It was starting UM the next weekend, so nearly two weeks out. UM. I mean, my senior year, UM, my biggest yeah, – I mean, of course. Freaking yeah, you're a Miami guy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So – Walk on the field. First thing McMahon does, first of all, goes, hey, man, you doing all right? And he hits me right in the belly, put me to a knee, which that was kind of funny. He didn't mean to. You know, he, yeah. just, he didn't know. And Duke's like, listen, he's going to need a couple of days off. And McMahon's like, okay, sure. So I go home. So now it's Monday night. I'm at home. I'm like, man, I feel terrible. I wake up Tuesday. I'm like, man, I feel way worse. Tuesday night, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting better. Mind you, I, I can't get off my couch. I can't stand up. Yeah. Duke, he, Duke brought like... 50 of those Gatorade things we used to drink yeah. after workout. Yep. I like, they're like an insurer. They got some, they got calories. They got, you know, uh, mm-hmm. protein, all that bullshit. So I'm just literally drinking those. I sat on my couch the entire day. I would stumble up. If I had to go to the bathroom, I'd take a shower maybe at night. I'd go back to the couch. I couldn't lay down because I couldn't lay flat. My stomach's hurting so bad. So come Wednesday afternoon, I'm like, man, this is not food poisoning. I don't care what anybody says. There's no, re- there's no way on earth this is food poisoning. I called Duke Wednesday night. I said, hey, man, uh, I'm going to the hospital tomorrow. I said, like, this isn't food poisoning. There's, like, something wrong with me. So, mind you, this happened Super Bowl Sunday, Monday morning, probably 5 a.m. It's Wednesday night. Yeah. Come Thursday come Thursday morning. Duke picks me up at 730 or whatever, takes me to an urgent care. They do an ultrasound on my stomach, and Duke starts crying. And that's, that's a true story. Yeah. They freak out. I, do, I don't remember if they tried to call an ambulance or he just drove me. I don't remember, but they took me directly to Shands for emergency surgery. I had ruptured my spleen. And was basically bleeding to death for four days. Oh my gosh! And you know, to this day, my mom swears I was horse playing. You know, wrestling, got in a fight. You know, to this day, because you 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 usually rupture a spleen from some sort of traumatic incident, car accident. Yeah. Football players, it happens to you sometimes, but other times you can have a virus or be sick. Some people with mono, the spleen enlarges and yeah. you know gets soft, and it can happen. I I had not been sick uh, sometime in that fall. I had a mishap out at Cedar Key and got scratched with an oyster. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe I was sick from that. But anyhow, long story short, I ruptured my spleen, bleeding to death. Literally, I I assure you could talk to just about any doctor on earth, and they say if you have a full-blown splenic rupture, that there's almost no chance you live because you're just bleeding. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I was shitting out the blood. I have no idea, but I'm bleeding. Uh, 
the Thursday afternoon, I sign my life away, blood transfusion, all this stuff. If I need it, they take all my you know vital signs. They you know they give me IVs and everything. I feel better after having an IV. I feel great. Well, by that night, they're they're going to take out my spleen. But my numbers, there's two numbers: H and H, hematocrit and hemoglobin. My numbers were whatever, low. Mm-hmm. They took my numbers two hours later. They were higher. I took them four hours later. They, so basically, ruptured my spleen. Started bleeding out. My body, you know, all of our bodies will heal themselves eventually as long as you don't die before it happens. My body started healing itself. So come the next morning, like, listen, man, we don't know. We're going to just keep monitoring you. We're not going to take your spleen out if we don't have to. And the doctor described my spleen as if you took jello, and, this, and he said this in front of my mom and Duke, I'm almost positive, and threw jello against the wall and watched it drip down. That's what my spleen looks like. That's what he said. I don't know what a spleen is supposed to look like, but that's what he, <laughs> I know it's not supposed to look like jello no, going down exactly. the wall. So, uh, it gets better, gets better. They don't take it out. Fortunately for me, because it, it would have probably ended my career. At least it would have ended my senior year. So now we've got UM in one week. I stayed in the hospital from that Thursday until Sunday, just on IVs, getting antibiotics, and just sitting there doing nothing, watching TV. My parents were bringing me carabas. I was doing nothing. Yeah. Doctors are like, well, we're not clearing you to play baseball. We don't know what's going on. You can't play for a month. Oh. So starting that Sunday, so they said a month. Senior year, UM, you know, the only <laughs> – I do have little regrets – you know, not regrets, but I was told, not by McMahon or anything. It may have even by, been by, like, a sports information guy. It may have been by a doctor. They're like, don't tell anybody what happened. All right, whatever. I'm not, but now people see a guy that starts 130-something games in a row to not start at the beginning of the season. Like, I'm sure people assumed I got suspended. Like, I don't yeah. know, you know. Yeah, for sure. There was assumptions here. There was an article in the paper at some point. And I'm like, well, dude, you know, I almost died. And let's be real, I was misdiagnosed by a University of Florida team doctor. That's probably why they want me to say anything. Yeah, right? exactly. If I die on that Wednesday, it wouldn't have been McKeith and Field anymore. It probably would have been Brian Rosefield. Yeah. You know, my, <laughs> my parents aren't litigious, but I think they would have had a problem if a guy told me I had food poisoning and said I was bleeding to death. Yeah, exactly. He may be, he, I won't say his name, and he may be a doctor there still, but he sure as hell shouldn't be a doctor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that started my senior year. Oh my god! I, go I miss UM. I miss all you know. I miss all the all, big all the games. fun stuff, right? UM, FSU. That's when all the good stuff is all going on. All that stuff, you know. And then um, I think I came back right around FSU. I think I missed one. I think I, I think I missed the first six games. They wanted to see me play one game, see how I did. So I missed the first six, played the seventh, missed the eighth, something of that nature, and then I started every game after that. So I missed seven games my senior year. Like man, you know, it's it sucks because you know it's just completely random accident random thing happened to me and you know it 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 affected you know affected my life a little bit but you know it made me stronger but you know yeah. my senior year I went out and i actually learned how to catch a little bit i hit pretty well my senior year and got myself drafted yeah you know? yeah so i went from uh barely making the high school team to you know almost getting kicked off the college team to you know now <laughs> almost dying to now you know now i'm getting drafted here yeah here i am so you get drafted by the diamondbacks um, yeah do you go straight to short season yes i went to short season um, went to Yakima, Washington. Yeah. So, and one of my closest friends to this day, and you know him pretty well, Dustin Glantz, Dustin Glantz actually, yeah. just happened to be my roommate. And we just, it just worked out perfect. Um, just go out, we go stay in Yakima. They had the other short season team, the, uh, the low, like short season, low, whatever. There's the two versions of it. There's, yeah. there's a pioneer league. And then the Northwest league, they had all of us there for a few days. They split us up. The team I was with, was um, mainly college guys. Yeah, some some superstars. Connor Jackson, our first rounder, one of the better hitters I've ever been around. Jamie D'Antona, Matt Chico was on that team. I don't think our four, our fourth rounder, I think went straight to to low A. I don't remember who the fifth rounder was, but we had you know a lot of guys, you know, and it was a great summer. 
I learned a lot. Uh, Bill Plummer was my manager. I think you, you played for yeah, Bill. Yeah, he's great. Bill and I were like the same, you know, he was perfect manager for me too. You know, no <laughs> bullshit. You know, tell you how it is. He was Johnny Bench's backup. He made me 10 times better as a catcher. You know, I mean, just little subtle, you know, Lopez got me to a point to be able to make it a pro ball and, and Plummer got me to the point to make it to the big leagues. I mean, he at least gave me that opportunity. He, he was the man. He worked on it every day. We bullshit about stuff and, you know, Plum and I, we got along pretty well. And that yep. was a fun summer. You know, we played balls. I, I got a, I was just thinking about it the other day, a funny story, you know, because I saw it yesterday. I think Felix Hernandez, pitcher, yep. I think he's like 35, 36. I think he just signed with some a minor league deal with somebody trying to come back. Felix Hernandez that summer played against us, and he was, I think, a 17-year-old, maybe Venezuelan, Dominican, throwing 100, 101, yeah, every pitch. 17 gas. from Venezuela, yeah. Just throwing gas, but didn't really know how to pitch yet. But, I mean, he had you know, an elite arm. I'm pretty sure he won a Cy Young at some point. So he's in there. Just pumping Ched. And he doesn't, you know, he's throwing it down, you know, down the dick every, you know, not every time. But he's he's just learning. But he's getting mostly getting people out because he throws hard. I I hit pretty well off him because, like I said, you couldn't throw a fastball by me. But if you threw, a, you know, any sort of good change up a slider, it's like, all right, good night. You know, yeah. I'm not hitting it. Yeah. But uh, Felix, I, I'm, I, could, I could look back whether I got a bunch of hits off him or I just hit it hard off him. I, I hit well, you know, maybe a couple through the six hole, just turn it around. I don't know. So there's a game, and I'd have to look back at the, at the stats, but there's a game later in the summer. He comes in, and he didn't start this one. He came in late, and he may have even been the last inning, or second to last inning. He's throwing 101. I mean, he's topping out 101, like because the, the pitchers are charting everything. He's 98 to 101 in the game. Yeah. I get up. There's a man on third, I think. I don't know how many. Gosh, I don't know what, how many outs there were. He goes first pitch. Slot, and in hindsight, the man throws gas. He needs to work on his off-speed pitches. I'm the eight-hole dog shit hitter you know i'm hitting like 230 or something like that you know i'm just i put the ball in play but i'm a nobody it's like yeah. you don't have to pitch on me just throw strikes and like you're gonna probably get that <laughs> he goes first pitch slider or splitty i'm not sure i don't remember to this day i look at it i'm like all right because i'm not ready for that you know i'm thinking fastball yeah he goes, so if he goes first pitch slider he goes second pitch splitty and for one of them was a strike one was a ball and i'm like third pitch slider fourth pitch splitty he goes back to back and now it's two two and I look to the catcher, I go, what the fuck is this guy doing? I said it just like that because all the pitches are low. I can't hit any of them anyways, but I'm like, he throws 100. What is he doing? Fifth pitch, splitty or slider in the dirt. It was a moment in the game to try to like put the like lead run up, and I'm like, what is he doing? Catcher, swear to God, goes like this, time, runs out to him, obviously tells him what I said, yeah. 101 at the ear hole, and I didn't even have to duck because you know I didn't really move. Yeah. It went over my head. I know the run scored, and I got on first base. I was like, okay. <laughs> So he threw me one fastball. He threw. He did. He, he missed me. He was, but he tried to hit me. He was one. I think they said it was one on one because they the guys they were laughing. They're like, why did, did they? They're like, did he do that on purpose? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure because I, I did. <laughs> did good. Did, did cuss him out. I didn't get it at the time, but hindsight, the guy was a superstar. I mean, one of the best pitchers ever pitched in the game, and he's just working on his stuff. And you know, coming out of college, you don't think about. I mean, that's what professional baseball is about. You got to work on your stuff. You know, that season with Plum, early on, I was hitting. I was hitting pretty well. I mean, decent. I mean, whatever. Yeah. And I had a, I had a dog shit. My swing was fine, but my feet were terrible. They yeah. just were. I was, I dove into everything. You know, it was, it was just part of my. You know, it was just part of my swing. You know, yep. I, I just dove. so if you threw me a good fastball in, I wasn't hitting it. You know, I wasn't gonna really swing at it actually. I just because I knew I couldn't hit it, I didn't swing it. If you threw it out of the plate, I was crushing it. If you threw it an inch or two off the plate, I was crushing it. But I always dove in. But you know, as you move, and it worked fine early on in pro ball to work. But it's not gonna work. Definitely not in the big leagues. Even double A or better, it's not gonna work. So. They worked on my swing all summer, and I, you know I struggled a bit here and there. But you know, it 
it made me a better player. So thinking back to like the story with Felix, like you got it. That's all pro ball is, is you're working on your stuff. Once you get to the double A level, it's like you got it or you don't. And now it's just a matter of you can get out. But you know, early on, you got to work on it. So with me, my mind was we're gonna hitting at him clearly, but I still I still told the catcher I was like, what the, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know, going a hundred, he's so slider splitty slider, you know. But me, I'm sitting in my house talking to right now. And he's you know he's like gonna be a hall of famer. So, yeah, so no, he is. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing about Plum, just <laughs> it's just relevant, and I just love it because we we both know Plum. Yeah. There was a guy that was drafted with us at some point, made a lot of money. I played in the big leagues for quite some time. The guy was better in his sleep than I ever was in my, when I was awake. But let's say he didn't put the most effort out in the field. Just didn't. Yep. Just, he, he, if he ran to first and he felt a little twinge in his toe, eh, he'd take himself out of the game. You yep. know what? When you get lots of money, you can probably do that. You know, me, I, you know, I, I break my thumb and I had to play games, you know. But, yeah. and, and to switch that story backwards to college, that same player, one of the best players in college at the time, if not the best player, we're facing him the year. He might be a freshman or sophomore. I might be a senior. And our pitching coach decided to take over calling signs that year. Whatever. I ain't, you know, you're smarter than me. You're the coach. That's fine. We're up on Florida State probably 13 to 3 early on. Then it's like 13 to 5, whatever the score was. We're beating the crap out of them. But each inning, they're chipping back. Well, Connor Falkenback is now pitching. I don't know if you remember Connor. Yep, but Connor nasty. He's a hell of a pitcher. Our it's like the seventh or eighth. It's getting late, and we still got a decent lead, like six runs now, but still, that ain't shit in college. Yeah. Our coach proceeds to call fastball no less than 50 times in a row, it felt like. It was at least 30 times in a row, just fastball. Connor throws 90, 92, but, like, you can't throw a fastball. I don't care if you throw 100, 100. Yeah. Like, you can't throw a fastball every yeah, pitch. I agree. They start getting hits here and there. Well, that same hitter gets up with two men on. He hits it over earth. Like, the shit, like, I don't know. He hit it 500 feet. Yeah. It's now like a two-run game. The inning ends, and I went in, and I screamed at the, the pitching coach. And I always have respect for coaches, but, I, you know, I screamed. And our other coach decides to pull me in the, in the, <laughs> into the bathroom, screams at me in front of the whole team, and it gets in the bathroom. He's like, Brian, you're absolutely right, but you can't do that in front of everybody. I was like, I know. Sorry. <laughs> and that wasn't the first time a coach pulled me into the bathroom screaming either. But. Dude, fun, funny times. Okay, so how's the back end look? What's it look like? You know, where are you at um, going into, like, the Cal League? That's when we played together. You know, take me through the rest of rest of so, it. So after, so after that first year, I had an okay season. I got better at some stuff. I needed to work on a ton of shit. Like, it was it was, it was was eye-opening experience, which was great. I learned a lot. Worked out in the offseason, went back to Gainesville, lived with some of the guys that were – I think it was Ryan Cheely, Pat Osborne, Alex Hart were there, all guys playing pro ball. Ryan made it to the leagues. Uh, ben Harrison was still on the team. At Florida, so Florida lets use of facilities. So every day we, you know, we'd get up at, you know, we didn't get up crack of dawn. We'd get up ten, you know, get moving ten o'clock. Go to the gym, go to the field. We got good workouts in. So coming into the next, the next year after short season, um, the Diamondbacks had a pretty good, they had a really good like rotation, especially with catchers. They had some some good guys up the line. So the next year it was Miguel Montero who made it to the big leagues, caught for the Cubs, yep. caught a couple of times, and myself. We both went to um, South Bend. So we were going to be the two catchers in South Bend, and then we had a great team, man. We had oh – God, that team – so most of the college guys, the high draft picks, the guys that were far, clearly better than me, they went to Lancaster. They went to high A that second year. Jamie D'Antona, Connor, like all those guys. I went to – you know, with some of the other guys, short season – I mean, not short season, went to low A. Our right fielder was Carlos Gonzalez. Yeah. Our shortstop was Alberto Gonzalez, who made it to the big leagues. Our second baseman was Emilio Bonifacio, who played in the big leagues. Yeah. 
Miguel Montero was the catcher. I mean, we had a, we had four or five. Loaded, yeah. We had four or five, six. Matt Chico, uh, he ended up with us at some point. Matt Chico pitching the big leagues. Um, we had a good, we had a good team. Um, I split time with Miguel, but I came into that season. I don't know if it was the off season work or switched something on my swing, and I I was mashing pretty early on. I had the year before I think I only had one home run in short season, maybe two. That year I had probably five home runs in the first like ten games I played. Oh, like wow. I was hitting. Well. Yeah. Um, ended up splitting time with Miguel. I actually basically beat him out as a catcher. Miguel was a far better hitter than me. Far yeah. better hitter. Miguel was a good catcher. Miguel was, I'll say this, and he'd admit, um, pretty immature when it came to the position. He just didn't understand that when you're a catcher, it's more about catching you and the pitcher, you know, getting the game going along. It's not about hitting. Miguel would hit, and if he would get out, you know, sometimes he let the, he'd take that out to the field. Um, the next season, when he played in Lancaster with Bill Plummer, I guarantee you he would give credit to Plummer for getting that out of his head. And once Miguel put both together, you know, this guy was yeah, winning. He made yeah, it to the Once he realized that, he was a young guy. I mean, he was 20 years old. I was probably 24. You know, I played in college. You know, he was young out of, I think, Venezuela as well. But throughout that season, I I don't know if you want to say I beat him. I would say that I beat out Miguel. I ended up catching quite a bit of the games. He started playing first. He'd catch. I mean, he was hit. His, he was always going to be in the lineup. Um, I think I played first maybe one game, which was, I mean, I don't think any balls were hit to me. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God, yeah. Um, but by the end of the season, I had a good year. Um, I probably only hit maybe 240, 250, but I hit 11 home runs. Like, I, I had showed power for somebody splitting yeah. time. In, in in that league, in South Bend, it's a big park. The ball doesn't fly. I mean, I, I put up reasonable numbers for a catcher. You know, yeah. my, I was hitting pretty well for a while. I'd play four or five games in a row. Then I'd sit for five games. You know how it goes. Not making excuses. I needed to continue to get better, but, you know. I was transitioning just like I did in, you know, high school, college. I always just got better. You know, when I made it to Florida, all I want to do is just make the team. Yeah. I, who the hell thinks I'm going to make it to the minor league? You know, at this point, but I just kept getting, you know, kept getting better. So that year in South Bend, you know, I got bigger. By the end of the year, I was quite a bit heavy for a catcher. I mean, I, I moved fine as a catcher. I threw people out. I, I hit bombs. But the one thing uh, my coach was Tony Perez Chica. He's like, listen, you know, in my exit interviews, like, no, you had a good season. You know, you worked on a lot of stuff. Come back in just a little better shape, you know. Yeah. Don't say no more, right? I came back probably thirty pounds lighter, thirty-five oh, pounds lighter. Yeah, no. For the before the Cali, I you know I was at the time. I don't think that summer I spent much time, or that fall I might have spent a little time in Gainesville. And I think my girlfriend at the time, I don't know, she may have moved to Tampa. I, I don't remember the you know I don't remember how it went down, but I, I it was a little different routine, you know, just more yeah. working out. I just lost, I lost. Maybe it was with her in Gainesville, but I lost a lot more weight. Came into came into Lang, uh, came into that next season, great shape, feeling good. Go there with Miguel, so I somewhat beat him out the year before. Well, he came in good shape too, and he was he was on his game. That that's, hit like, that's when I played with yeah. you guys, and that's when he was rolling. Yeah, he hit like twenty bombs in the first half of the season. I mean, he was he figured it out. I mean, the kids, the guy was an amazing baseball player. That season kind of not disillusioned illusioned me from baseball, but that season was kind of you know an eye opener because, you know, I didn't play every day and I was okay with that. You know, I continued to get better. They were giving me opportunities when they were there. I, I was totally okay with it that year. Miguel beat me out early on. I get it, man. The kid was mashing. I was hitting good. I was over 300 for a little part of the season. I ended up hitting the season, I think 290 on the year yeah. with a decent, with a decent amount of at bats. I think I only hit six or seven home runs that year, but um, I had a good season, but that's when the business side of baseball, which I get, but that's when the business side of baseball came in. And, um, you know, they, Miguel got moved up and I'm hitting well. I'm thinking, well, it's going to be me. Well, now they move another guy down. 
I understand how that works, you know? So now I'm sitting on the shelf again for a couple of days. That guy struggles. All right, Brian, you hit for two days and mash. They bring another guy. You know, it was just one yeah. of those up and down things. And I, and I get it. I understand it. That's the game. But on top of that, I hurt my shoulder sometime that season. Um, don't know when I think I can, I think I stepped on the plate funny, but I was having to take probably eight out to be able to play a game at this point. Like I couldn't, I couldn't throw. And that was my one true tool was throwing. I still threw out probably, I don't want to say 50% of the runners, but probably 45% of the runners. Like I remember at the beginning of the season, like six or eight guys stole off me in a row. I'm like, man, I, I need to shut this down. And I remember at the end of the season, I threw out every single guy, you know, whether it be because our pitchers were holding on, I mean, it has nothing to do with me. I was just an accurate thrower, you know, yeah. Literally any catcher can throw, or not any catcher, any catcher that level can throw just about everybody out. If the pitcher's doing their job and they're accurate. I mean, yeah, yeah, you, don't I agree. Have to be, you don't have to be Yachty and, and throw like, you know, missiles down or, or you know, Real Muto or all these guys that are just incredible. If you're accurate, even under a 2 0, you know, even at a 2 0, a pitcher is a 1, you know, 1 1, 1 3, and you're accurate on the bag, you, you guys out almost yep. every time. Um, so, you know, I, I had a good season, but I, and I was hurt. I had a good season, but I was like, man, the business side got to me a little bit, but I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm going to keep playing that off season. Did my, did my routine. Um, I think that by then I was still with, with a girl and I think she was then in Tampa that year. And, you know, I worked out, I went to the batting cages nearly every day. I did what I could came back to the next spring training and my arm. And I got a, an MRI in the off season. I had a torn labrum and torn ro- rotator cuff. Ooh, so shoulders, shoulders it. done. Yeah, labrum, and, and uh, labrum's sho- enough. shoulders done. You're, I mean, yeah, baseball, that's, uh, that's tough yeah, to come back no, from. You don't come back from it, really. And, you know, and I was ready, you know, the game to me was like, all right, I finished the season. I mean, I heard it while I was in the California League. I finished the year. I was able to suck it up. I just take my ad before the game. You pitch. I just, you know, toss it back to you. Somebody steals. I still could cut it loose. But then, I, you know, I'd have no arm for, you know, the next <laughs> two minutes. My, you know, my whole body is just, you know, numb. So if somebody stole second was safe and they stole third the next pitch, I would never have even left my position. There's no way I could throw it back to them. And it's just the truth. But I happened to throw people out so they didn't really try to seal off me too much so going into the next spring training i come in good shape again my swing while i was in the cal league um i think his name was Dan, i think it was damon mayshore i don't remember who it was one of our other hitter hitting coaches they figured something out of me like just they made some tweak and my gosh like i could like my timing with my swing was like better my feet were better and like the power that i had like it, it my swing was like now legit like it yeah. became a legit swing, like my swing, my first few years in pro ball were like, now you're not going to play in the big leagues like this unless you're a backup. They they worked on some stuff, and I worked on it the whole offseason. I was feeling I was feeling good, man. Like I had finally the first time in my life like good balance. Like the biggest thing was with balance with my swing at least. I was always you know diving. Now with my balance and power and the BP, I was hitting shit yeah. over everything. Now, so going into the next year, I had high hopes, but the arm was the arm was a thing, yeah. you know. And the way I looked at it was. Um, I was going to try to play myself in contention with the team. I was able to play. I was a nobody. I signed for a thousand dollars. You know, I sent, I spent my signing bonus in a strip club in Key West. That's that's a true story. That's a true story too. In one night, many you know, in two, yeah, in like two thousand three summer or something. That's a true story. But you know, I was a nobody. You know, I mean, I had good years every year. Like I said, I hit two forty or two thirty, two forty, two ninety or something. Hit some home runs as a catcher. I caught well. I threw throughout runners. I didn't make any errors. I mean, like yeah. I was fine, you know. No, no, it's you're a, good defensively. You I always love throwing you. Give a chance. It's a guy you give a chance to keep playing. So I was one of those. I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing this until, you know, I put myself in a position where I felt like the team at least not needed me by any means because we had Miguel ahead of me, Chris Snyder signed. I mean, they had studs in front of me, but I felt like I was good enough to where like they would have given me um, some more credit. Well, that spring training, we had a new catching coordinator, 
Um, I don't remember who he was. Probably a former big leaguer. Who the hell knows? You know, yeah. not to say anything about what he knew. Everything like I, I'm good with it. But they made us do um, drills every day, throwing the ball to the bases and shit. And I couldn't do it. I, oh. I couldn't like I, I couldn't throw years, it. Twice. Right? Oh. I mean, yeah. Right. Right. You know, and like the years before, I could kind of like manage around it. I could, you know, because I could like the years before I was fine. But they never had those drills. But that year. It was like throw five to first, pick off five to second. And it's simple shit that like with me, I would have been probably the best one with my arm. I, people would have been like, damn, look at that. But I couldn't do it. I throw like one and then I throw the next one in the dirt. And I try to get through a day where they're probably looking at me like, this guy's got no arm, first of all, whatsoever. And second of all, you know, like he, he has no business being here. But I wasn't about to tell him that I couldn't do it. You know, yeah, of course. No, I know. So you. <laughs> it, it comes it comes to uh, the first day of, of those games because in, in – Tucson, it was us, the Rockies, and um, the White Sox. Yep. So you, you play the White Sox one day, you play the Rockies one day, you play yourselves one day, and you just do that for two, three weeks, and then you go off to your teams. Um, I was with the double-A. I would have been a double-A that year with Miguel. I mean, I would have been his backup again that year, but I, I would have been a double-A. Um, day one, uh, you know, the guys, they're going to get on – if they get on base, they're stealing because they got to show off what they got. They don't give a shit. These games don't really matter other than trying to make teams. First guy steals, I throw him out, but I, my arm was already dead. You know, it was one of those I close my eyes and throw it. My body went numb. My shoulder went numb. Like, like I couldn't even. Always when I threw, my mask flung to the ground like typical. I couldn't even pick it up. I finished the inning like throwing the ball like this back to the pitcher, and Plum was the manager. And I tell Plum, I said, I, I can't, I can't throw. He's like, Are you serious? I said, I cannot throw it back to the pitcher right now. He goes, All right, Brian, I'll take you out of the game. So he's like, Well, get back with me tomorrow. I said, All right. So I go the next day. I said, I can't. Like, I it, it was done. Like, yeah. It was already it's torn labrum rotator cuff. Like, so whatever percent was torn before, it is 100%. To this day, I can't sleep on my right side. I have never gotten surgery. I can't sleep on my right side. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But um, the next day, I'm like, bum, I can't go. And he's like, Brian, I can only hide you here for like a day or two because, you know, they gotta, he's got to yeah. tell the guy what I'm doing. You yeah. Know? And um, by day three, I said, uh, I can't do it, you know. And um, I was so – I was already, you know – Baseball was already kind of upsetting to me in other ways. And the pain was just as hard as, you know, listen, you've been doing something since you're a kid. You know, now the pain is like, fuck. You know, one of those things that never kept me out of games was was injuries. Like, I played through them. This one was like, I can't play through this one. Yeah. And and in, and I kept thinking, and, then, you know, at Florida, there was how many guys? There was like five or six. There was a couple guys that ended up with labor injuries, and, like, none of them really came back. There was, like, Cardozo's and, like, uh, I think Hedgecock hurt his shoulder. Yeah. Um, Jamie Goldfarb, like there was like four or five guys, and like it, labor. It's like you need I don't know how many months you probably need eighteen months to be good. Yeah, I, least, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Like, I don't even know the answer. Twenty four. Yeah, <laughs> probably right. And so in college, it's like how much time do you really have to do that? So at this point, I'm like, well, I'm already the backup. You know, I'm gonna. It's labor and rotator cuff. What am I gonna be two years on the shelf? Now they're gonna draft more stuff. Like they're gonna rehab me, and I'm just gonna get released. I mean, that's just the way I looked at it. So. The third day, I tell Plum, I'm like, man, I, I cannot throw. He's like, well, listen, Brian, I can't do this anymore. So you're gonna have to go in the morning tomorrow to the uh, whoever, the head trainer. Yeah. Who I had, mind you, this is my fourth, third spring training, fourth year with them. I'd never even been in there other than to get the physical when you show up. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, I, I don't go in there. Like, there's, I never get ice. I don't stretch. Like, there's nothing. So I go in the next morning, seven thirty or whatever time it is. I'm like, hey, listen, my uh, my laborman rotator cuff. I, I straight up told him. I said, listen, I got a, I got an MRI. Last year, I said, my, my labor and rotator cuff are they're torn. I said, I, I, I can't throw anymore. He's like, no, they're not. They just looked at me without doing anything. He goes, you just had a physical. And you know when you show up to the, the, the organization, they have a physical, yeah. they, a full physical they push on you. Well, me for that year, because I was like, I'm not going to let these guys know I'm hurt. 
So when they push down on both your shoulders, I just made my left shoulder seem weaker. So when he's pushing down like this, I just did the same with the left. So they might have been like, well, he doesn't have strong shoulders, but there wasn't a difference. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, no, you just got a physical. I'm like, listen, I'm just telling you. And I was like upset in the first place. And I'm like, man, dude, I'm just telling you. My shoulder, it's torn. I can't even throw it. He's like, no. He's like, you, you obviously didn't work out this offseason. You obviously didn't throw. He's like, I'm going to put you in a two-week throwing program and you'll be fine. I go, man, I'm telling you. Like his attitude, his attitude was so condescending to me that it made me retire from baseball. And that's a true story. Yeah. He, he, he basically called me, he, he tried to call me out. I'm like, listen, I threw, you know, I said, it's, I tore it last year. I didn't tell you guys, I fucking played through everything. I threw people out. Cause I never would go out there if I'm screwing up. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I threw everybody out of the, I wish I could look at all those, you know, the old stat lines. I assure you that almost nobody stole off me after I hurt my arm. Cause I, I got through it. It's condescending as hell. And I'm like, you know what? All right, man. Thank you. I went from his office directly to AJ Hinch's office. Pretty sure it was AJ Hinch at the time was our like the minor league. Player development. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I went in there and I told him, I said, listen, I'm done. And I, I went in there. I tried to be all tough at first. I ended up crying, you know, like, cause it's like one of those things you play baseball your whole life, but like I should have sat on my decision. I don't regret my decision. I should have obviously sat on my decision. <laughs> I should have called my dad. I should have done a couple things. Yeah. And I didn't. And I didn't. I was so angry with the trainer guy. I'd already been upset with baseball for a year. I've been in freaking pain for a year. Like, there's been so many issues. And I'm like, you know what? I I just don't want to do this anymore. And I talked. And he's like, listen, we'll get you surgery. We'll, like, he, he was on my side with everything. And I said, you know, I'm just done. I went over to uh, – there was a little breakfast place right across. I ate breakfast, called another buddy got my shit together and shut it down. And my dad happened to be out and he was so upset. He was so mad at me. Not that I made the decision, but then I just did, you know, kind didn't of sleep on it. Yeah. No process. Didn't do anything to it. Just... Yeah. And it was stupid of me, but like I said, I don't regret it. I never would have been able to play again. I mean, I know that like my shoulder would never have been hundred percent. They would have just, I didn't want to sit in Tucson for two years rehabbing to then get told, hey, you know, screw off. No, like, I that's, agree. That's and and it, it 27 with when they're drafting right. catchers every year. I mean, dude, that's, that's tough. That no, it's hundred percent. I think I was about 26 at the time, right? And like yeah. I said, I was ready to back up. I was doing fine, but I wasn't no starter. You know, I was, I was a nobody. And that's the truth. So I, I drove out. My dad happened to be with his friends out in Vegas. So I drove out to Vegas, stayed like one night, and then we drove cross country back home. That wow. was baseball. Wow. Yeah. Man. And it's weird. I don't, like I said, I don't regret that decision. Um, I have dreams once in a blue moon about baseball. But the only thing in my dreams about baseball. <laughs> Um, some, for some reason, I'm in the outfield playing playing in the outfields, and I go to throw balls in, and I just can't do it. It's like, oh, like the only thing, I'm not like having at bats. I'm not pitching. I'm not hit. You know, it's I'm just going to throw it in. It's just like I throw this little duck fart. You know, like 20 feet. You know, like nothing. <laughs> and it's like, man, it's just these. It's just these weird. You know, yeah, weird sensation about baseball. But yeah, yeah the, th- the things that stay with you, right? It's, there's a still can't. Yeah, there's a great um, book by a guy named Wright Thompson. It's called The Cost of These Dreams, and it's like. That's one of the the cost of your dreams that, you know, lack of use of arm and, you know, kind of the PTSD that comes with with play, playing minor league baseball. So do you yeah. ever do you ever talk about yourself on here? Has anybody ever asked you questions about you? Or your, uh, your yeah, it, it comes to that at points. I mean, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. I don't have any questions, but do your viewers know about. Uh... <laughs> I have a funny story. Um, remember Pete Nystrom hitting the ball off your head? Oh, at yeah. You, yeah, tell, so you tell the story. You know it better well, than I was. I got knocked out. No, well, I don't know whether you got knocked You didn't get knocked out, but yeah. So one of our guys hitting off you. Um, hits, and Pete was a ball player. He got yeah, drafted out of high good. school. Pretty sure he got drafted in, to play pro ball. A guy could hit the ball. 
and he hit a ball a thousand miles an hour directly off your head. I'm pretty sure it went over the fence. It might have been a home run. I'm not sure how hard it hit your head, but your hat flew. Everything flew. Your glove flew. You hit the ground. Everybody ran out to you. You got up. You you're just you know disoriented. You had no idea what was going on. And then you started. And then Duke tried to walk you off the field, and you started cussing at Duke. You're like, no, I'm fucking pitching. And you try to get out, like you were like gonna fight Duke on the mountain because you were gonna pitch. It was great. I was like, see, this is my type of guy. You know, yeah. like that's you got smoked in the head and you wanted to pitch. And another thing, you wanted to fight me probably many times, but probably usually when I'd go out there to yell at you. But there was a uh, probably your senior year when they turned you into a starter because you went from a closer yeah. to a starter. And then um, it was those like the game right before like one week before the season started. All the fans come in and watch whatever, like the yeah, one last orange game. and blue or whatever those are. Orange yeah. and blue, yeah. right? So the first inning hitting, and I'm pretty sure I was zero for life off of you. Um, first inning hitting, you throw me some sort of outside fastball, and I hit a bomb oppo. I had never hit an oppo bomb in my life. I pulled monkey. I hit it between the the foul line and like five feet over the foul line. Like that was it to me. Like I had no gap. Well, I just ass out, put my bat on, hit a home run off you. I'm like the fucking a man. That's sweet. So. Shit's not going well. You get through like that inning after. It was like a solo shot. Well, the next inning or the inning after that is not going well for you. The catcher, I don't remember. It was like a walk-on catcher. I don't remember who it was. Was just dropping balls, pass balls. <laughs> Shit was just not going good for you. And I'm in on deck circle. <laughs> and it's a full count. I don't remember what it was. Either full count or two-strike count. Men on third, probably nobody on. And you strike the guy out. But the catcher either like misses it or it gets by him. So the run scores and he runs the first and you come home to cover and you're just, you're on fire, angry. <laughs> I get to home and I take my bat and I slap you on the ass with the bat and you turn to me and you grab me by my neck and you start screaming at me and I just put my arm around you. I said, what, you mad I hit a home run off you or some stupid shit? You were so angry because you were just, you know, shit's not going right, but it was, it was great. Yeah, sweet poise, right? It's supposed to be a yeah. sweet, supposed to be a calm starting pitcher. That was the thing, like I never bought into the starting pitcher concept that whole year I, I was like still a closer at heart so you're coming in at a million miles an hour yeah but at the end of the season man you had it turned on you know yeah. uh, you i mean i'll say this you, you you had a pretty poor pickoff move yeah right i mean let's Horrendous. be real yeah and you were told and you were you, you threw what like a four hitter a four hitter and a three hitter nine innings in sec play back to back to back probably the best pitcher in the country three weeks in a row and we go to regionals and you get told you're not starting against the best team there because you got because there's on the Friday night game, there's people that are fast because you're a lefty. And you yeah. Good oh, move. I've already processed that one. That's still, yeah. that's still I wanted, good. I wanted to ruin your day and bring that shit up again. <laughs> like I said, the cost of these dreams, man, what we go through playing this game. All right, so we, we, we finish with the funny stories, and that those are a couple good ones. But I know you have – look, we played for Andy Lopez. He's a legend. Um, to play a season for that man – is to have 30 of the funniest stories of your life. Way more than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe 50. The good thing is, I, I don't remember almost any of them. Because, yeah. I mean, I wish, you know, the, with technology nowadays, people probably be filming them. I wish I would and just keep them on my own because you could write books. You could have movies. Oh, yeah. Some of the shit he would say. Amazing. He was brilliant. The, the creativity and the... He was funny, or he is brilliant. He is funny. And he would pick on like one or two guys at a time and i got it more than anybody on the team for two straight years more than anybody but then by the time he you know i turned the corner i just got to sit back like this and just chill but yeah he um i mean just can't even start there was there was a couple guys that pitched for us and uh, one name was uh ben hedgecock one of them was matt bomizel matt bomizel was a lefty you know threw 80 miles an hour good off speed was a great change of pace good pitcher man the guy got outs yep. lopez loved it competed too 
compete a hell of a pitcher. Hedgecock, big righty through, you know, probably low 90s. He did fine, but, you know, um, everybody goes through it, especially coming out of the pen. You know, if you have a, a couple bad days out of the pen, you're kind of screwed. You know, in, in baseball, you're expected probably, whether reasonably or unreasonably so, to, to achieve success immediately, you know. And pitchers, it's harder because, like, a hitter can come out – Pinch hitter can be fine. It goes one for 10 and, you know, 10 pinch hits the bats and gets two or three hits here and there. And they still use them all the time. Yeah. Pitchers coming out of the pen, they're expected to get three outs right away. Yeah. I mean, they'll get a couple opportunities, but listen, I get it. You know, you can struggle here and there. And I know Hedgecock was struggling one of the years. So there's one day where there's BP being taken and we had some guys, I think it was like the round with like the top four hitters on the team. So you got like Ryan Sheely and Pat Osborne and whoever else. And yeah, maybe, yeah, big these guys, yeah. These guys that are just, you know, amazing and there's one day and every time a ball's hit six thousand feet andy lopez at the top of his lungs screams hedgecock just hedgecock just <laughs> at the top of his lungs every time somebody rolls it over third base or a little you know jam shot somewhere they'll go bowmizer <laughs> hedgecock so he's just screaming this at the top of his lungs well hedgecock's out in left field he's like what what they need me and, and lopez <laughs> no they don't need you somebody somebody <laughs> in the stands Comes up because, you know, people could watch practice and there wouldn't be too many people out there. And <laughs> somebody goes, hey, man, what does Hedgecock mean? And Lopez dead turns around, goes, it's Spanish for line drive. And just tells this guy. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's one of them. And there was another one. I'm catching the bullpen. It's probably my freshman, freshman year. I'm getting beaten up. You know, if a ball gets by me, I got to run after practice. One of our pitchers, and I know I won't go with his name because he ended up transferring from us, but he is just – he came in as a highly touted recruit, probably drafted out of high school. He isn't throwing anywhere near the strike zone. His off-speed stuff. He's just having a bad pen. Yeah, yeah. He was known for uh, being a little bit of a troublemaker. You know, he's getting himself in trouble every which way. You know, you're not, he wasn't being a troublemaker and being a stud. He was a troublemaker and struggling. So he's having a terrible bullpen. Lopez always stands behind the pitchers. I'm catching. There was always two catchers next to each other, two pitchers behind the fence. There's a walkway, and behind that, there's a street, Main Street. Well, down the street, there's people are walking, riding their bikes. Well, some guy's riding his bike. This guy, this pitcher is struggling, and the guy riding the bike goes, uh, um, just riding a bike. And Lopez is just losing his mind over this pen. He screams at the guy riding his bike. And the guy's like, what? He's like, come here. The guy's like, me? He's like, yeah, come here. I mean, who knows who this guy is? He could be in grad school. Who knows who this guy is? He goes, hey, he walks his bike. He goes, put your bike right there. He goes, can you pitch? The guy's like, I don't think so. He goes, well, come here. Has the guy hop the fence onto the field. He goes, Brian, take all your gear off. Put all my gear on the pitcher, who, mind you, was a lefty. So now he's sitting there with his catcher, with his with his glove, and he has the guy that was on the bicycle throw throw a pen to the to the pitcher. Because look, this fucking guy is better than you, and he's riding his bicycle. You know, he's like going to probably, you know, I don't know, one of Lopez's quips, but. Man, and you know one of the one of my favorite stories, and like, it, there's so much more to it, and I, you know, I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell it well, but um, one of our guys who caused uh, quite a bit of consternation for Lopez, you know, he, he liked himself the ladies. There's nothing wrong with that. You're yeah. in college. Yeah. So one of them was on the airplane where you know he's flirting with some girls on the track team after we just lose to LSU, and I think we start the season in the SEC. Uh, six. Oh and six. Yeah, never and been zero six. <laughs> And we get just completely slaughtered for three games. And these guys are flirting with the, the track team or whatever team come back in the airplane. And Lopez is just losing his mind. So then I won't even finish that part of the story, but he's losing his mind over. So about a week later, two weeks later, we're actually starting to win again. And we actually won. I think we ran off nine straight. In the we did. After yep. But um, 
they're in the training room <laughs> and this same pitcher is bragging to either the volleyball players or the soccer, whoever we shared it with volleyball, soccer, and I think track were the three groups that we shared our training room with. He's bragging them that the Atlanta Braves are going to draft him this year. <laughs> so, Hey, listen, whatever you got to tell the ladies, I guess, you know? Yeah. So Lopez and look, he, he was famous for bringing the entire team out to center field. He was the whole team. So nobody else could really hear what was going on. Brings the whole field out, the whole team out to center field. And he just goes, and I'm not going to say the guy's name, even though I like the guy's a really good dude. dude he's great. You got to say the name, like, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, I guess, at this point, because nothing happened wrong. Yeah. But anyhow, he goes, so I hear Lopez looks at everybody. He's like, I hear everybody's, we got somebody that's going to start for the Braves this year. And all of us are confused as hell. And obviously, this guy is now, like, probably kind of panicking. And Lopez, you know, just hands, just, I mean, he's talking to the whole team. And he's like, Tom Glavin, Steve Avery, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox. He's like, man, that's four guys in the rotation. Who else is going to be? Oh, Eddie Rojas. So he's like, Tom Glavin, Eddie Rojas, Steve Avery. And he did it 400 times in a row. He just named their starting five pitchers over and over and over again. And he kept throwing Eddie's name. He's like, Eddie went from, you know, this big bravado, you know, bravado like, and he just disappeared. And he just, you know, it was great. He, you know, it wasn't, you know, he didn't go after him maliciously. It was just freaking hilarious. It was just hilarious. And, and Ro, you know, Rojas had a great college career, and he was a guy that, like, no, he was amazing. always he was found a way to win. To good good teammate, but, dude, it, that was as funny, you know. Yeah, Glavin, Smoltz, Avery, Rojas. Ro yeah. He's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, he's like, I think Bobby Cox is going to go with that one, you know, something like that. <laughs> and then, um, you know, he was Lopez. What I liked about him, and it, it applies to life, but um, he was a 10-80-10 guy, you know, yeah. he, he and, and, and you can think about a lot of things in life for him, 10-80-10, you know, you get people, you know, in any job, any position, anything, anywhere you're at, there's, you know, 10% of people, whether, you know, employees, whatever, they don't give a shit, players, employees, whatever, 80% are just like happy to be there, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here, and then there's 10% that are, you know, your bulldogs, the ones you want on your team, and he was big on that, and Lopez was not afraid to let people know who the 10, the 80, and the 10 were, you yeah. know, and he was hoping the bottom 10 would then move up to the 80, then move up to the top 10, but you know, he, that was, that was one of his, uh, his big things. He also, uh, he got a, few, <laughs> he got a few phone calls from parents. Cause he, as we know, you're, you know, you're a high school coach, you know, in a big program now. Um, I don't know how you, how your kids are. I'm sure they're pretty tough the way you probably run the program, but you know, there's a lot of kids that grow up in pretty soft programs that they're told they're God's gift to life. And then they show up at a big school of Florida, Florida state, UM, whatever big schools. And all of a sudden they're very average at best and probably not even good enough in some situ situations. Well, Lopez was getting called, by parents that their kids weren't playing enough. Oh, Lopez wow. called Lopez called us all out there. He goes, guys, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be serious. I mean, probably a few cuss words in there. He's like, another parent calls me, you're cut. I don't give a shit if you're on 100% scholarship or not. If your parent calls me, you are cut. So you better tell them, you know, Susie and Joe to not fucking call me anymore because <laughs> you're absolutely cut. And he did that again. I, and I'm sure you were there. Remember Ramshawn Wells yeah. with the foot Australian football. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were, they would go out there and you know, they didn't have to do shit. They probably pitched already and they're kicking the football around. They're throwing the, whatever the hell you do with the Australian the footy, football. Yeah, yeah. And we lose a couple games and Lopez sees them doing that. And he looked dead and I think it was Nick Treffrey. He goes, Treffrey, if those guys keep playing football, you're cut. <laughs> and Nick's like, the fuck did I do, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, no, I remember Treffrey walking over to those guys, like, Hey man, got to get rid of oh, that football. <laughs> Jeffrey's awesome. He's a he great awesome. guy. You know, he's just, a great dude. You know, just using you know his example. Yeah. No. And, and the funny thing is, I remember calling my parents that night and saying, "You haven't called Lopez, have you? And if you do, do not, don't even think about it." 
I guarantee you I did the same thing. Yeah. And I don't think my parents would ever do that. It's not yeah. something they would ever yeah, do. Mine either. I was yeah. like, no, please, for the love of God. Yeah, yeah, do not. Under yeah. any circumstances. So what's, what's it been like after baseball? I mean, obviously, baseball's not a part of your life anymore that much. You're a firefighter in Key West. You know, tell me about the, the transition out of it. To fire, it's actually an, it, not a bad, tra- a pretty easy transition, uh, realistically. I mean, um, the, a lot of aspects are the same. Uh, the camaraderie between the guys, the guys and the girls. Um, it's a physical job. Um, you know, it's the same type of character that you like, that I like to be around, in, you know, in the clubhouse. It's, it's very similar, you know. So that part of it made it easy. But um, initially, right after school, I mean, yeah, right after baseball, I had a job doing stuff with uh, like developing properties and everything. That wasn't for me. So I'd always wanted to do fire, but um, gave gave another job one year, and I said not not for me. So I did the fire. Um, the way fire departments are nowadays throughout the country, whether people know or not, it's it's mostly EMS. Um, it's mostly emergency medical services like EMTs and paramedics. Knock on wood, not too many fires anymore. Based on building technology getting better, building you know you know building construction is all better. So the future of fire services and fire departments is typically the, the medical side of it. So getting into it, I was just like gung ho, let's break down doors and fight fires and shit. Um, it's not that much anymore. You know, I was my first few years here. I've had, I had plenty of that, but the last few years, it's like I said, knock on wood again, um, that not too much. So when I got into the fire service, um, you have to become an emergency medical technician at first. And then if you want to continue that, you become a paramedic. I, when I was living with my girlfriend at the time in Tampa, got a job working with an ambulance company waiting to get hired by fire departments because there's some departments maybe right on, but some of them might take you a couple of years to get on. It's, it's, yeah. it's a difficult job to get into. So I was waiting to hear back from a few departments. So I worked in an ambulance service for about a year and I realized that I had a knack for it. Um, I was good at it and I enjoyed it. You know, I mean, day one, I, it was literally my first day, maybe not my first call. We had a person that was deceased after getting hit by a, uh, a car on a bicycle. So I'm like, well, here you go. You're either going to be able to handle this or not. Right? I mean, yeah. it's baptism by fire, and I was able to, you know, handle it. And one of my better traits with the department, I can handle and stay calm during the crazy situations. Now it does. I'd be lying if I said uh, anything different. It does get to me after occasionally, you know, whether you know children calls with children or you know definitely yeah. affect you. you know, get get in your head a little bit. Um, that or when you can relate with the family. You know, it's like. On the job, all our guys, I mean, we got some great paramedics, firefighters on here. I mean, amazing guys and women. And um, on the job, you get the job done. You just, you go, you go at it and you're just like, all right. But then you, when that moment of whether it's 30 minutes, 20 minutes of absolute, not terror is not the right word, but of like, you know, getting after it. When that goes away, um, you, you have to, you know, the adrenaline drops. And I've been able to handle that pretty well, but I have had a few calls that have absolutely crushed crushed me mentally i mean i'm just being honest but it usually happens when i when i can relate to the patient in any way whether it be the family like seeing the family um i could tell us i mean i guess i'll tell a story because i mean we're talking it has a little bit to do with baseball i was an emt at the time i'm a paramedic now i'm actually a rescue lieutenant so basically i'm in charge of the medical services every third day in the entire city okay so i mean it's it's a pretty good role yeah um it's an important role early on um i was an emt at the time i don't think i was in medic school yet uh, we have a call for a guy that it came out as a um, 22-year-old CPR in progress. So we don't know, you know, that's what they tell you. You don't know anything. We get there. The person had a pulse. So they, they were not, you know, the people on scene didn't know, but he was unconscious. He was a 22-year-old who had just graduated Mississippi State, had just played for John Cohen. Oh, wow. Who was just 
been my coach a couple years before that, um, was partying in Key West because uh, getting ready to go to grad school. Jumped off a uh, pier in shallow water at nighttime. I didn't realize it or something. You know, I don't know the circumstances, but he broke his neck. So we take him to the hospital. And of course, it's it's one of those things you're trained. There's you do X Y A B C X Y Z. You know, you put him on C collar. You know, you treat him how you treat him. Get him to the hospital. Um, the part that got to me in this call really crushed me. His the paramedics dealing with the doctors, and I went in there and once said, "So now it's my job to clean everything up." You know, because now let the doctors and nurses take control. We're waiting for the helicopter to fly him out of town. His little brother comes out to me. He's about seventeen at the time. He goes, "Listen, I know." Um, I know my brother's in bad shape. He goes, but can you just tell me anything? We're not really supposed to say anything, but you want to kind of give, without too much information, some sort of positive news. Yeah. I, I oh, and before he said that, he goes, listen, I just got done with EMT school. I'm getting ready to take my test when I turn 18. Yeah, yeah. He's like, so I kind of know what's going on. So the kid knows what's going on. Yeah. I said, okay. Yeah, he's not so I said, listen. So I'm like, all right, listen. Your brother is in really bad shape, but he is doing better. Which it's the PC answer, but it's, it's true. I mean, he's not on the beach anymore in the water. I mean, he's in a hospital, he's getting taken care of. He's doing better, but I, di- diagnostically, I have no idea how much better. Cause at this point I didn't know he had a broken neck cause he was just unconscious. We don't know if he had head injury, but he's doing better technically. Yeah. He's like, okay. I said, listen, if, if the room clears out a little bit in there, I'll, I'll take you in there just so you could see him. Cause this man has been unconscious for now for 20 minutes. So doctors, they're, you know, waiting on tests and results. I said, all right, come here, come with me. I walked this kid in there. He goes in the corner, not touching, not, not in the way of anything. No sooner than I brought him in that room, the guy did go into, into cardiac arrest. Oh, you know, when geez. you break, when you break your neck, uh, three, four, five, like it's, it's a big deal. You, you mess with your respiratory drive. You stop breathing and die. Yeah. I'm doing CPR on this kid, this 22 year old in front of his brother as his brother's crying. Oh, and his brother knows what's going his on. His brother knows what's going on. The guy, he guy came back after you know 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it was but it was like one of those things i was like wow i don't believe i just told him his brother's doing better and i'm doing cpr looking at his brother and man that call that call got me you know like i left work that that was a bad night we had other three or four other calls right after that and you know that was one of those days where it's like the job is worth it but the job you know you gotta realize that you know the positives come with you know come with negatives and you gotta be able to uh, gotta be able to handle them yeah. i've been able to you know and i love the job passionately love the job but it eats at me at times and that's just the, the God's honest truth, you know, and it's just with patience, you know? So, you know, what I've learned through Lopez and baseball and college and, you know, being a hard nosed guy, just who I, who I am, you know, I do handle this, this when the shit hits the fan, I handle it. Well, yeah. I, I do. No, that's a but also, but race. it also, but it also gets to me when I'm by myself, you know, so yeah. no regrets. It's, it's, it's a great, great profession. Like I said, a lot of commonalities with, with baseball and the guys and the girls. And, you know, I mean, we've got three female firefighters here that are badass. I mean, it, the, the, the station is like the clubhouse. One of our former, um, one of our former chiefs when hiring people, um, and he has a good point when hiring people, um, he doesn't care what your resume says. He, I mean, if you meet all the minimum standards, he wants to know if you'd be able to sit at the dinner table with somebody else and get along more important than any, you could be, you know, the best firefighter on earth, supposedly, but if you're an <laughs> If you're, you know, if yeah. you're going to be, a, yeah, you don't want to be around that guy. Yeah, you want to be course, a guy yeah. that you can sit around, watch movies, talk shit to, make fun of, you know, just like the baseball yeah, team. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so and and in, when you have that good camaraderie, when you do have the really bad calls or you know the really big fires or so on and so forth, it, it makes it easier. The guys get along really well, and then after you guys can, you know, diffuse the situation, you know, together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen a lot. I've delivered a baby. Don't want to do that. <laughs> don't want to do that again. Um, 
but yeah, it's I enjoy it. You know, it's yeah. it's it's been a long road to get where I'm at right now. I'm 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 an officer. It's considered an officer role in the in the, uh, the profession. My next role would be captain. So that's probably six eight years down the road. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. If if you know you're a person I would trust in that environment, just from having been through the quote unquote the fires with you, it's, I, dude, it's you know it's it's funny because it's like temperament. Well, it's not even that. It's it's funny you say it like that because this is the truth. I was an asshole when I played at Florida. I mean, it's the truth. Probably not a lot of guys would have loved to always hang out with me after, but they always wanted me to be their catcher or be on the field with them when the shit went wrong. Well, it's kind of the same way. It's like <laughs> maybe not a lot of guys want to be around me, truthfully, but every single person. Uh, would want me to be in a fire with them, and every single person, every single person would want me to uh, take care of their, their yeah. family there. Yeah, no, that's. Hey, I guess that's what happens when I learn learn to be a hard person through Lopez and all these other people. But you know, yeah, I, I don't take anything back from no. that. No, all right, that's awesome, man. Well, I dude, I appreciate you being on. This is kind of nerve wracking. It's easy to talk to you, but it's it's so far out of anything the realm of normal, you know, normalcy for me to be talking on, <laughs> talking on the, you know, in this setting. But you know, it's actually been all right. Good. I appreciate it. And again, you got an awesome story. I mean, you know, like, again, it's it's a story of adversity. It's a story of coming back, you know, underdog. And everybody relates to that. People dig that stuff. Nobody wants to hear, oh, I was the best player since I was five. And now I'm in the Hall of Fame and everything's been perfect. Never one minute, never one minute was I ever the best player on any team I ever played on. Maybe Little League at one point, <laughs> but in high school, there's always somebody better. Uh, college, for sure. And I actually, yeah, I'm not even going to say it, but College for short. I mean, not even close, but, you know, I made it and I yeah. played in Pro Bowl. Never, yeah. never one minute was the best player. <laughs> oh, good stuff, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, dude. Yeah, man. Good talking to you. All right, cool. Later. So when I look back on my career and, and playing with guys like Brian Rose, and one of the things that I loved about him was the honesty. And, you know, as athletes, sometimes we can get pretty big on ourselves, maybe a little arrogant, and guys like that could always kind of put you where you needed to be. And especially as a teammate, he would call you out when you need to, he'd keep you accountable, and he was awesome about that. And so, you know, I, I appreciated throughout this conversation that that was Brian Rose. I mean, that was, you know, he's authentic as it can be, and you know, one of the better teammates you'll ever play with. And it was also really interesting to hear old stories about myself, you know, when we played against each other. And, and you know, I'll be pretty candid. It's it's funny to think that person even existed now because I feel so much different. But, you know, that, that was what it took to kind of be competitive for my end. So really hope you enjoyed this one. I had a blast doing it. And uh, thanks so much. Please feel free to subscribe and cheers. See you.